0: This episode of the Gentleman's Scofflaw Podcast is brought to you by Patreon and the Gentleman's Law merchandise page. Go to GentlemanScofflaw.com. In the menu, click the support or shop links to help support the show.
1: You are listening to the Gentleman's Scofflaw Podcast. Listener beware. Rise and shine the liquor store.
2: I ain't got time for moping, I best be on my way Well, I still got time to save my reputation
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast, the podcast for the rebel and the renaissance man. I'm your host, Jordan Crowder, and joining with me, as always, from the great white north is Johnny Boy. Hello. And filling in for the Don, Don Fowler, is our good friend and uh, residential uh, therapist, uh, Eric erock anderson how you doing
2: hey great what's going on guys glad to uh glad to be back with you again Yeah,
0: thanks thanks for coming on you're uh, you're one of our Arsh. favorite uh guests <laughs> from uh from the us the guys on the podcast and our listeners so oh, that's uh, good yeah, I'm, we'll wo- I'm,
2: i was worried i freaked everyone out getting into the the depths talking about you know sex pornography all that but you know what we made it out on the other end so we're okay apparently yeah I you mean, said sex yeah <laughs>
0: like, all of eric's uh uh People that he counsels are gonna like are gonna hear this and go, Oh gosh. I can never I'm take this guy. My se- after this. Never take this guy seriously <laughs> ever I'm again. Get fired.
2: <laughs> um, he goes on a podcast with those guys.
0: Oh, I, I know. It's terrible. This guy. We've burned a lot of bridges for a lot of people, I think. Over, They're scoffing
3: laws over there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, let's start off with a little bit of housekeeping, like we always do. Um, I am drinking some KBC pumpkin beer. In my Ooh. Yeti, uh, my little Yeti koozie. So there we go. That looks nice.
3: Well, if we learned anything from uh, our, our our resident brewery, uh, Peter, a few weeks ago, he said the pumpkin stuff was out. I know. And I think it is. Sweet potato. F- sweet potato this year. Oh, man. Ooh. I,
0: di- I have, didn't find any. I actually looked for some, but I was only at Trader Joe's. What do you guys got going on?
3: I have nothing. Nothing? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, you, well,
2: Ed? I would love to be joining you for a drink, but I am at work in between sessions right now, so I have a lovely cup of coffee Oh made from you. our Keurig in the office here. I, would,
0: I mean, I feel like old-timey therapists probably had alcohol between sessions.
2: Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, you know, a, a, a bit of scotch or bourbon or something, <laughs> I could, I could see it. It would probably make
3: some some of the sessions might go over a little easier if you. you
2: Well, especially some of the old timey therapists was just like, you come on the couch and talk for an hour, and I just kind of sitting on my head, and then you pay me. You could easily get away with that. Oh yeah, but no. I try and I try and engage with my clients more than that. <laughs> you try and listen to them, give them their money's worth. <laughs> yeah, make them feel like they're actually talking to someone, not just like okay.
0: Um, oh, a little preview uh, later on on the show. I always forget to do this in the beginning. Uh, we have Walker Lamond for the author of Rules for My Unborn Son, which will be a lot of fun. All right, um, and um, I think my uh, my parrot just started piping in. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but uh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what's Your going female on? parrot, yeah, <laughs> our female parrot. Um, it's it. She's she's she can be touchy sometimes. You know, she doesn't like me very much. She likes Lacey, but uh, for me, she
2: hisses at all the time. I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, Lacey's a bit more approachable than you. That's why. Yeah,
0: literally when she walks like. She, I'll be sitting at home working all night and Lacey might go out with friends or something and she'll come back and she'll be sitting in the corner of her cage the entire time sulking, sleeping, whatever she does. And then as soon as Lacey walks in the door, she's wide awake and running around the cage and it's just, it's really weird. (laughs) It's weird to hear you call it a she.
3: I know, isn't it? Now it is. You've had it for how many years have you had this thing? Four years. In four years. It's always been Ernie the He, and now it's you know, Ernie the She. It's
0: Ernesta, but we just still call her Ernie. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Um, what you, what you, What's going on in your week, John?
3: Well, I, I came across. Okay, remember back in the day we recorded uh, that that what was it called the the Campus Boys. How many years ago was that? A do- oh, dozen yeah. years
0: ago. This is like a. It was basically a pilot presentation <laughs> for MTV. MTV. Uh, yeah. And it was very
3: much like the impractical jokers, but on college campuses. So when we were filming that, if you watch it on YouTube, there's an opening scene where we're in a fountain. Yeah. Right. And when we were in that fountain, I found a flash drive. Not a flash drive, but a memory a memory card for a camera. Oh yeah. And I just. Held on to it. I had no way of checking what was on. I didn't have the the device or anything. And I came across it this week and my new computer has a slot for it and it's got a bunch of family pictures from someone's Christmas. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that is so, so creepy, John. I know. You know, I, but I feel like these people might want to see these, you know, pictures.
0: You're like a, you're like a Robin Williams in twenty-four hour photo. <laughs> What was it? One hour photo? <laughs> one hour photo. <laughs> You're just like, uh, oh man, that's the, the, the creepiest thing about that. And I think Eric will appreciate this as a therapist. Was that shot of him <laughs> in the people's house, just on the toilet with the door open? Oh just- <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, if you want a good psychopath cinematography there. <laughs> oh, remember last time Donovan was looking for the definition of a sociopath or psychopath. Like, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, it
0: just just using somebody's home bathroom with total disregard of uh of privacy Um, oh that's crazy you know i have a friend uh that found years ago a dvd on the side of the road and it was this girl's um like bot, what's it? What's the? Is it bot mitzvah? What's the girl's bot, version? Bot, bot mitzvah. Yeah. And it became. It was like this lavish, crazy bot mitzvah that he used to watch with his friends, like every all the time when people would come over because it was so crazy. It was just like this video <laughs> of his friends, and so
3: I feel like that's your bot mitzvah. <laughs> this was. <laughs> uh, well, to be fair, I've only looked at them once. Oh, yeah. So. Oh. So but to be even more fair, I only found it yesterday, so oh,
0: there
3: you go. <laughs> well, maybe you could maybe with all
0: the new like uh re- was it face recognition stuff now with Google, you could find out who it belongs to.
4: Oh, there, there you, you go. go.
0: You know they're probably, they're probably they're probably because this was back
3: before the cloud, right? You know they're probably looking for they probably wondered whatever happened to those photos. Or maybe they were trying to get rid of them and they thought a fountain was a good place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. I never thought. It's about probably a,
3: like a, a red dragon type of guy that you know. If you ever saw that that movie, red dragon, a, the, the, red, the red. That's how he'd find his uh, his his uh, his next victims was through a video service transferring old movies to D. Oh.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say finding pictures and fountains.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would work. It took a
3: leap. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Uh, what happened? Well, I guess I know what happened in Eric's week. We were talking about this earlier. Um, for my birthday, Eric got me tickets to go see a band that uh, I used to be into and Eric used to be into in high school called Five Iron Frenzy. Do you remember them, Ooh. John? At all? Oh, John no. John followed me all through my punk phase, but John stayed the same. <laughs> I I went through a f- punk phase as a teenager and um yeah, they were they were they're actually a lot of fun to see live. I mean, you had fun right, Eric?
2: Oh, totally. Yeah, they're total goofballs and it was fun like it was definitely I mean, when when we were talking afterwards the whole night, it's like cuz they were a band that were like I mean, I absolutely, you know, loved throughout high school and still do now, but like they broke up for what was it? They broke up in like 2008 and then just got back together like just a couple of years ago. And so, like, the whole crowd was a bunch of people who, you know, were in high school last time they saw them. And now we're all old with kids again trying to go skank in the mosh pit and <laughs> can't keep up.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. It was definitely an experience because I remember, and John has gone to a lot of these shows with me. We'd go to like see like MXPX or I don't know. We saw, we saw so many bands back yeah. in I got day. my
3: first black eye at an MXPX concert. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: it wasn't even a cool story. It was just a, a, a friend of ours from the youth group who got a little too excited and jumped up and clocked them in the face with her yeah. head. Um, in <laughs> with her forehead, yeah. forehead. Yeah. With her forehead. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. It was a much older crowd. <laughs> yeah. Every there was not a person <laughs> under thirty in this entire crowd.
2: <laughs> well, the band before I thought it was super funny, the band before Squad Five O, um who I didn't know a ton of their music back in high school, but I'd I'd heard them and heard a song or two. They had a song uh, called We Are the Youth, and the guy had to dedicate it to everyone's kids because he's like, we're too old to be singing this song, but we all have kids now.
0: (laughs) Well, it was funny to see kids at a show like that too. There was like, you know, people had their little kids uh, holding them on their shoulders. yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. It makes me wonder, is punk dead? I don't know. Is the new generation going to carry the torch, or is it just that niche that niche crowd of uh, of, um, of for five iron frenzy that is is going to stay older like that?
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I they've always like, had like a super loyal fan base, so they'll they'll be a group that I think will stay with that. But yeah, it's the is the scene going to be as big as it once was? I don't know.
0: I don't know. What do you think, John? <laughs>
3: I thought I had a thought. I realized I I don't.
0: (laughs) Um, It's funny because you, Eric, you played in uh, many, I think multiple bands growing up. I played in a band. John was our security guard uh, at all of our
3: shows. (laughs) A
0: very bad one at that. (laughs) I know. Uh, You let that one kid, Frank Schuflar, who used to be who was our bassist's drummer that was always trying to cause crap. um, He always somehow got backstage and we're like, John,
3: you, you gotta keep an eye on this kid. Um, and ironically, he's doing quite well with his band now. He is. So maybe I had some small part in, he, he, he and know. well, I don't think he plays music
0: anymore, but he he was uh, doing Ble- Blessed by a Broken Heart. He was their drummer I'm for a at straws here, man. <laughs> you know what we got to do? You know what it's time for? Listener mail It's time for listener mail, Um, but this is a special listener mail. This is Listener Mail Ask a Therapist edition, because we've got Eric here with us. We might as well kill two birds with one stone, right? Um, For those of you that listen to the show, uh, you can interact with us on social media. You could uh, send us an email on our website, or you could call us at man81scoff and leave a voicemail. Um, I've got a couple questions that people sent anonymously through email that uh, they wanted uh, to get answered. You want to answer them, Eric? Sure. All right, you read the first
3: one, John. Okay. Uh, where is Waldo? <laughs> that's not a question. <laughs> that's not a question. All that right, we Are my, we? My being cousin bad. used to cir- circle Waldo in the books, so he could fight to be here next. <laughs> oh, no, that,
2: that's such a jackass he was thing to do. Ruin the books for everyone in the daycare. <laughs> what yeah, a no, moron. I'd want to start looking through it, and then all the all the Waldo's would just be circled, and like, like, no,
3: no, that sucks. Uh, okay, the real question: What advice does Eric have for spouses of those in public service type fields, like teaching, social work, etc.? Specifically, as it comes to self-care, my wife is a teacher in a school of predominantly lower socioeconomic class students, many of whom have had a rough upbringings. Mm. As someone who is very caring, she's had trouble in the past, taking too much of her students' struggles onto herself, leaving her emotionally and mentally exhausted, which in turn can put stress on our marriage. What can I do as a husband to help uh, help her manage that burden appropriately, or is it time to to seek out a counselor or pastor? uh, versed in dealing with these situations. Thanks in advance.
2: Yeah. Um, no, it's a really good question. And I think something like a lot of people deal with, especially like looking at, um, helping professions and things where so I'm like that situation as a school teacher, um, in a lower socioeconomic, uh, school district, it's like, it's definitely going to be easy to take a lot of that on, particularly if she's got a empathetic personality who, um, cares a lot about people, which is, I mean, awesome, awesome that your wife does that. Yeah. Um, but I think knowing your boundaries and limits and you know, uh like because cause so many of the issues in that type of setting that you're gonna be dealing with are so much bigger than one person can deal with. Um yeah. you know, you're you're she's there to make an impact with the people um who she can impact. And I'm sure she she's doing amazing work, at least it sounds like it from the way uh, you put the question together. Um Uh, and it's, I, so in response to the actual question, like, what can you do to help her out? Like, um, I would just encourage her to, um, look at, look at what her needs are. Look at, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is there times where she's overextended other times where, um, you know, she's exhausted, she's coming home. She's not able to, you know, stay connected or be present with, um, you and, uh, you and your family, um, and how that might be getting in the way. Cause if she's more connected and she's taking care of herself more, she's actually going to be more able to do, um, to do her work better and, and be able to help people more. I think knowing your own boundaries and limits is, uh, is huge. Um, now if, if there's an issue that's getting in the way, that's keeping it from like, okay, I know I need to set boundaries and limits and I try to, but I can't seem to do that or sustain that. That's where, um, you know, you might want to look at a a counselor or pastor or someone to, you know, help process why am i struggling struggling so much with that
0: that makes sense and
2: i just
3: realized why it's so good that i didn't go into being a therapist of any sort (laughs) (laughs) i would have suggested picking up brick laying (laughs) it pays better and bricks don't have feelings Terrible (laughs) advice, John. Terrible advice. I know. I know.
2: Um, No, work for some people, but (laughs) that's awesome. um,
0: But yeah, I guess it's better to have some a a wife who cares than doesn't care, right? So it's like it's 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 a good it's a good characteristic, exaggerated in a sense. I would think.
2: (laughs) Well, I look at it like you know the superhero type thing. You know, Uh, you learn to control your superpowers, or your superpowers, or control you. You know, so it's like being empathetic is it's a great thing, but if you're if you don't know how to shift into like giving that same care to yourself, then you're going to be depleted by this really good quality that you have. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. All right. uh, Let's go to this next question. We have dear therapist, Eric. I've been with my girlfriend for almost nine years and we have two kids. Couldn't be happier. For some reason, I have a dream about my old girlfriend who I haven't seen in 10 years, at least twice a month. Always something mundane like doing groceries or something. It's really annoying and leaves me with a bad feeling of longing. Help? Question mark.
2: Yeah, the help question mark. Uh, maybe I don't know. Like, it's I. I, I would want to know. Like, uh, is there a deeper? are there other thoughts coming up of this girl? Is there, you know, and is the ex like still circling on your mind? Something like, you know, you're working to try and let go of, I mean, trying to let go of, it sounds like, you know, from the way the questions worded, um, you know, it couldn't be happier. It's just a thought that's coming up and you know, it may mean nothing every once in a while. You know, I think it's, it's normal to have just an ex or people from her past, like will come to mind and it's just, okay, that was there. And then it kind of, I mean, you know, it sounds like he's annoyed by it. And if it's really stressing out then like, or really causing problems. But I I almost wonder the way it's worded of like, you know, waking up with a bad feeling of longing, like am I guilty for, for having this thought or this dream, you know, it's just, it's just a thought. If it's like turning into obsession or you can't, you know, get that off your mind, then that might be something to, you know, call someone about or, you know, process through.
0: Have you, um, do you ever have it in your therapy sessions? Do people like uh, complain about like spouses having dreams about them doing something bad and then they wake up mad?
2: Oh, all the time, <laughs> all the time.
0: <laughs> oh man, it's, especially not, like like that. Like I, 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 had a friend that was always complaining about that. He was like, and I, and I, I mean, that, like I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I had a name. friend that complained yeah. about that too. No, uh, like, I, what are you doing in Lacey's friend. dreams, Jordan? Yeah, <laughs> but no, but seriously, he like he was he was like, and it became part of his stand up act. But um, it was like, I, I mean. That I mean, it seems ir- kind of irrational to act that way, but I don't
2: know. Well, it's because c- because what happens is like you you wake up from the dream, or someone will wake up from the dream, and you're still in the emotions of it. So I wake up and I'm upset, and those um, you're in those emotions when you wake up, and yeah. you know it's not rational to the situation, but that's what you're feeling at the time. So it's like
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm mad at you for what you just did. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I find, for the most part, people have kind of come down from that. Yeah, um, although you know. I I hear that a lot with you know couples and things i've worked with and like it's if there's an active like infidelity issue we're going through and then it comes up that it's just like i can't believe you did stuff but that's that's its own rabbit trail we won't go down right now i think
3: my favorite answer to that that i heard from a friend was uh she woke up and my friend said but it was a dream and she said but you still did it You can't argue with that. <laughs> you can't. You cannot argue with that.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, right. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Walker Lamond, author of Rules for My Unborn Son. Scofflaws, I wanted to take a second to talk to you about Patreon. Um, now, if you've never heard of Patreon, basically it's a platform for creators, for, for for patrons who are fans of a, a given creator to help support their creation. So we have a Patreon page for the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast. You could support the show for as little as a dollar an episode, which is like what? It's cheaper than a, than a Starbucks coffee, right? So maybe give up uh, one. Why does everyone always do that? They say it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Okay, what what else do you spend a dollar on? Maybe you know it's it's cheaper than uh, you know buying uh, you know uh, Q-tips. You know maybe you don't need Q-tips for the month. You know maybe this month you avoid Q-tips. Right? I I don't know. I mean, I hear they're bad for you anyway. But maybe maybe that's not true. I I don't maybe maybe don't sacrifice anything related to health. for, for the dollar an episode. But um, Patreon is great because uh, you, the patron, also gets rewards for uh, joining the Patreon. So uh, examples of stuff that we have are extended interviews and outtakes, stuff that gets cut out of the episode that you don't hear for time's sake. Because we try to keep a tight, you know, entertaining show. And sometimes there is some gold that doesn't make the final cut. So you get to listen to some of that. Um, also you get uh, behind the scenes videos, photos, and bonus episodes. For example, we did a bonus episode at the Big Shave West Um, which was a lot of fun. So more of those type of things are coming, as well as monthly live video hangouts where you can interact with us in person, which is a lot of fun. We've done a couple of of, of free ones to test it out, and it's been a lot of fun. We get to talk with uh, the listeners in real time and get to know them, and uh, they get to ask questions, and it's always a a good time. And here's the piece de resistance is... um, when we hit our, our our goal mark, we are launching a whole new movie review podcast, a gentleman scofflaw movie review podcast. Since you know we're we're all of us on the show are writers and filmmakers, and that's our background. We love movies. Um, we're gonna go through a catalog of what we think are either gentlemen or scofflaw-esque movies. Um, so if you join, you'll get that show as well. Everyone who joins on Patreon at any one of the tiers, even at the dollar an episode, gets a free Gentleman's Scoff Law vinyl sticker, which is super cool. It's like a full color sticker. You could, you know, it's uh, really sticky. You could stick it on uh, you know anything you want to stick it on. Also, you'll get thanked on the air for your support. So check out patreoncom gentscofflaw, or you could go to gentlemanscofflaw.com and click the support link on our menu and it'll take you right there we look forward to seeing you on patreon and thank you for supporting the show all right i'm excited to have this guest Uh, i've been following him since um When, when, gosh, I'm trying to remember when the blog started, but we'll talk about that. I used to follow him, uh, when his book was a blog before it was a book, uh, author Walker Lamont. Thank you for coming on. How you doing? (laughs) Yeah, I know we kind of we've been going back and forth over the last couple of months, but it's great that we finally linked up and I, I I mean, I love your work, so I and I've been following it for a while, so we'll just uh we'll just we'll just chat about it. Um for people that don't know you, um just give us a little introduction for our listeners. Who is Walker Lemon? What does he do?
1: Uh yeah, well, you went right on. I mean, it was it feels like forever ago, but uh I I started this Tumblr in 2009, um, which to me seems like yesterday because I'm a little older probably than you guys, but um, in, in internet years, it's like a millennium ago.
4: Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: I mean, honestly, I think, in fact, I think I was probably one of like the first like 50 actual Tumblr sites <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I remember there were like. 10 of us and we were all like picks of the month like at the same time I remember (laughs) I would get like 5 hits and the president of tumblr would email me be like great work you're doing great thanks But so, yeah, that was, that was fun. And then and then since then, of course, I've disappeared into hiding because my fame became just overwhelming. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> you became a hermit. Uh, you became like uh I don't know. What's who's a hermit nowadays? <laughs> Mel Gibson? I know that's a bad reference. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, disappeared uh, in obscurity. So, so your your blog was called uh, was it 1001 rules for my unborn son originally? Yeah, that was it. A- and that was it. Yeah. So I was a Tumblr junkie back then. I had, I, I mean, I didn't really do much with mine, but I used to log in there and just scroll through all of them. And I, it's funny. I That's started, fun, was it? yeah, it was fun. I, I guess it's still up there because I still have my account and I auto post stuff to it all the time, but I never log into it. Um, but I just, I I remember following that around the same time as like the art of manliness came out. And they were both kind of similar, kind of had a similar aesthetic and similar kind of content. Um but yeah, um how yes. did what
1: Brett, Brett's amazing. Brett McKay from Art of Manliness. He's amazing. He's done incredible things with his site. Smart guy. I don't know how that when that guy sleeps. <laughs> uh, he puts up so much content. But yeah, those were those were heady times back then. I mean, I I mean, I I'd had this idea and it was just kind of like the, you know, back of a barroom napkin idea for a book and and then the, the idea of like you know writing letters to agents and trying to get published seems so crazy. And I remember getting an email from a friend of mine who was kind of like a super early blogger. He had a blog called Golden Fiddle, which was great. It was like early TMZ celebrity. It was just very early blog. But oh, cool. um, he was like, there's this new thing called Tumblr. It's really easy. You don't even have to know how to code. You just drop stuff right into it. And I remember going to Tumblr for the first time being like, "Ah, oh, this is so easy. Like, I don't have to know anything about WordPress or internet, anything. And yeah. I, you know, at that point, I was already, I'd already aged out of probably the median age of internet people and bloggers and stuff like that. I mean, I was already, at, you know, out of college and getting married. <laughs> so um, so Tumblr was like perfect. And then like those first couple years of Tumblr, and this was like the very beginnings of kind of menswear stuff and vintage throwback themes, and and we were all just... I, I, it was so funny. I felt like I met all these people but never actually met them. They were all just these little internet connections and all these little personalities. <laughs> and it was fun. Yeah, it was, we'd sit and scroll all morning. It was like Instagram or, you know. Anyway, I haven't been on Tumblr in years, but I kind of owe everything to Tumblr. They, they really, uh, they kind of launched me. It was cool.
0: Yeah, it was super cool. Um, So tell, talk about... Let's talk about um, rules for my unborn son. I mean, what was the genesis of that? Like, what made you want to write these rules? Uh, how did it all start?
1: You know, to be honest, I had I just finished kind of my post-college decade in New York, and uh, I'd gotten married, and I was looking to start a family, and, you know, I just said, oh, I really, I kind of wanted to write a book, and uh, I said, it would be funny if I wrote a parenting book for myself before <laughs> I had a kid. That was the idea. I mean, it, you know, it was just kind of like a a funny. It was like a way to, to journal kind of my parenting experience. But you know. I uh, I had lost my dad when I was in college, and you know, I had always saw him as someone who had a lot of wisdom, or you know, for better or for worse, and and all these kind of old school rules, and and I thought, oh, I should write all these down because you know he's not going to be around to tell them to my kid, and. And so it was just this way of, oh, I'll I'll record all this kind of family institutional knowledge for my kid, and it was it was kind of like a a journaling project, you know. But but then I th- then I realized like, oh, this is kind of funny, you know. I could make this kind of a a, a an ironic, funny twist on like the old-fashioned etiquette books, you know, yeah. which I actually grew up with, you know. <laughs> like my my mom's family, they were kind of that that old-school like. You know, don't use the shrimp fork for your salad. You know? And, you know, I kind of grew up with a lot of old etiquette rules, but, you know, I wasn't like a fuddy-duddy, you know. I'd, I'd kind of, I'd gone through all the phases of, of teenage rebellion, you know. And then as I was having my own kid, I realized, oh, geez, a lot of that stuff I kind of I want to remember, you know, or a lot of the stuff my dad taught me. So I just decided to write it down. I mean, I, I think I probably had it in like a little spiral notebook for a year or two. And then, like I said, Tumblr came around. And I was like, oh, look at that. I don't even have to write a book. I'll just put it on the Internet and yeah. see what happens. And it was perfect because I would I said, you know, I'll just I had a lot of it written, but I said, oh, I'll just start by putting like a little up a day. And it was like doing stand up or something. It was like Testing out material, you know, like yeah. writing a book is tough because I've I've done that since, and it's like, you know, you're putting like all of your material in one basket and putting it out in the world and going, geez, I hope people like it. Yeah. But with right. blogging, you could you could test out material, you know. So I'd put a little up, and people would like it. And I'd be like, oh, that's good. So you and it would inspire you to do more, and then uh and it was great. It gave me a little momentum, and then plus, as you know, obviously, it I built up a little. I don't want to say audience. It was more just like a little kind of community of like a little insiders group of people that had even heard of it. And uh and that was great. So then when when I did kind of realize I had enough content to make a, an actual physical book, I, I could go to publishers and be like, look, I already have people that read this. They like it. You know, they mm-hmm. press the little heart and they comment. And that was, I mean, this is we're talking really early in the in the um you know, in the air of, of, of using the internet to, to test market
0: yeah. stuff. Right.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's such a given now that like you probably can't even get a publishing deal. If you don't have 10,000 Instagram followers or, right. you know, <laughs> you, you, you do, a, you you probably can't even get a job in, in McDonald's. They're probably like, Oh, but uh, you know, how's your social media following? <laughs> um, you know, but back then this was like totally brand new. I mean, I, I went to publishers and bragged about having three thousand followers on Tumblr and they were like, holy holy, that's great. This guy's a star. I mean, it was true like pre-viral times,
4: you know. Yeah.
1: But it was awesome. It was like for me, it was like it was like testing ground. Um, I mean, I wish it was always could be that easy. That time's already gone. It's already like the windows closed.
0: Well, it's funny too, Um, because like I've seen how that's affected too. like as coming from a filmmaking background, like independent films now, um, you see, Kickstarter used a lot to raise funds, which is really cool. But then you, the studios are starting to use it as a as a tool now, where they're like, "Well, see how much you can get on Kickstarter, and we'll do the rest." So you're starting to see, like, or a couple of years ago, ah. like Zach Braff right. and these guys that like have established careers on Kickstarter, and it's like, well, that time's gone now, and that that'll that'll never yeah. be a thing again.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean, you know, for for
0: every step in
1: kind of technology or even like art technology that democratizes your business you know like yeah. makes it easier to do gives access to more people for every time you make that positive step honestly like there are these little windows of opportunity and then they are either quickly monetized or essentially just you're making it even harder for yourself is it's i mean ultimately it's a good thing it's a yeah. good thing when more people have access to the tech and they can you know, compete in a larger marketplace and there's that little teeny window of time when all of a sudden some amateur can compete with the big guys, but then when the big guys catch up and say, oh wow, we can, we can use uh, Facebook and social media too, yeah. then all of a sudden you're back to competing against the big guys. Right. Um, but it's okay, I think. I still think that it's that incremental progress. It's kind of like the two steps forward, one step back, but it's still good, you know, because yeah. I, I, came up as a teenager in the 90s dreaming of you know being Kevin Smith and Spike Mm. Lee like you know taking a 60 millimeter camera out in Brooklyn and making a movie and then when I got up to New York and realized that's fucking impossible like (laughs) you know you just can't do it you can't I I couldn't afford like three minutes of tri-x black and white 60 millimeter film let alone you know Rent some airy camera, like it was just yeah. totally impossible.
4: Yeah,
1: you know, and then people are like, "Oh, you can use a video camera." I'm like, "Yeah, if you want it to look like shit, and like <laughs> so, so like I remember like the first huge step for indie filmmakers back then was the iMac. Oh yeah, you know, I mean, I got my first kind of one of those. I got a one of those see-through iMacs
4: Oh yeah, with like and the multi back and remember. it's
1: like. Totally, it was like all of a sudden you didn't have to use Avid, and yeah. that was such a game changer, mm-hmm. you know. But but it was still made it really really hard to, you know, it was still difficult. Yeah. But anyways, nowadays, Jesus, I wish I was seventeen years old right now. Because now, literally, their only limit is what you can imagine or write, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could shoot a feature on an iPhone, no problem. I mean, yeah. I was just listening to a podcast with the... Du- Sorry, I'm rambling on. No, that's fine. The guy, the, you know, the guy who made the movie Tangerine he shot it all on an iPhone?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like an iPhone a- 5, too. So, it's like, now that was sure. a, crappy, a crappy camera. <laughs>
1: yeah, <but laughs> it wasn't even a good camera back. Um, Anyway, now his next feature is in 35 millimeter, but, um,
0: Oh, so he just went the other way on that. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's, but I mean, you're talking about how it was like right timing and stuff, but the content is really good on your, on, on your blog. Like you're not giving yourself enough credit on that, on that side of things. I feel like that, the good content still does get through. It's just harder for it to get through nowadays. You know, like I, there's a bunch of people that are trying to do it, and it's all like you just have to sort through a lot of crap to the get to the good stuff. That's that's the main yeah. difference, I think, with yeah, the technology. I, agree. I mean,
1: even when I started my blog, I remember thinking, and this was actually the genius of Tumblr too. I, at that point, blogs and the internet was like really messy. It was yeah, still really messy. For you sure. You know, I mean people who consider themselves bloggers were still writing like a thousand word text entries on like a WordPress site. Like Mm. it, it, it wasn't visual yet. You know what I'm saying? It was still very, uh, you know, diary oriented anyway. So I remember thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm just going to keep it like really simple, like really visual. So I wanted like super clean text and like, And and I thought of it like a like a mixtape, like making like a really good mix. People don't even make mixes anymore; they call them playlists, right? (laughs) But but like you know, I remember I was thinking like um like I'm DJing a party, you know? It's like give them a couple fun rules, and then a nice picture, and then a song, and then a quote, then a couple rules, and a picture song. And I was really thinking about the rhythm of it. It probably comes from like editing movies because that's kind of what I had always done. And I and I wanted it to be Visual like that, like got you know, like like the old uh you remember the old tear off daily calendars? I don't oh, know yeah, if you yeah. guys even remember oh, that yeah. as a kid. Yeah. We used to get them as kids all the time. You'd get like these far side cartoons. Oh, whatever. Yeah, far side cartoons, but, all the cell yeah. comics. Yeah. And I gotta say, the brilliance of those was that it was just it was not too much information at one time, right? So it was just kind of and I I liked that idea of the Tumblr being like, these clean entries and I thought I really kind of wanted to lay it out like a cool magazine, which you just never could have, you know, it was the first time you could really do this. I yeah. mean, you know, we had done zines and stuff and you're <laughs> the photocopier and, MySpace. um, but, but all of a sudden you had this self publishing software that was free and it was so beautiful. I mean, the first few templates on Tumblr were so simple and so yeah. beautiful. It was really amazing and it kind of really freed you to just kind of write good content and my favorite part dig google images for awesome photos yeah you got also mm. this was at a time when google images was just exploding like yeah. all of a sudden you could type in david bowie young and you'd have all these beautiful photos that you'd never seen before because up until then what we you know unless you had a bunch of cool rock books you didn't have these photos or unless you were like a total music nerd and you had collected old cream magazines and stuff yeah you've never seen this so being able to like use the internet to curate this photo magazine i almost saw it more as like a photography magazine than anything Mm -hmm. else the content was fun but it was kind of like you know the blurbs in an esquire magazine it was like you're just just something to read while you turn to the next ad you know
4: yeah for
1: um, sure. Well, so anyway i just i was really into the visual aspect of it all and i mean i appreciate you saying the content was good i mean that i i was trying to be funny and all that stuff too
0: well but i, I was
1: the part that really made me have fun was like making it look cool you yeah. know finding cool pictures and like also like you know sharing with people who i thought were cool you know
0: yeah that's like, awesome you
1: know, man. and john lennon and old movie stars and Cary Grant and stuff like oh, that.
0: Yeah.
2: It was, it was fun.
4: Well, it
0: kind
2: it's of such an interesting concept to think about, like just the blog and just the medium you're sharing on as like the aesthetics behind it and, and how that was such a big part of it for you. I've never thought of like a blog, particularly with how schizophrenic MySpace got as <laughs> the, like, um, Pitbull as profile. like, uh, as like a minimalist artistic thing.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah and, And also, I I mean, I don't know if this had, I don't know how much this affected the kind of experience of going to my blog or whatever, but like I made a decision early on that I wasn't going to make money off this. Like I wasn't going to put ads on it and I wasn't going to clutter the space with like other people's content, you know? Like I really loved the community of Tumblr and I was like always trying to you know, like other people's stuff and encourage people's blogs and stuff like that. But I, I didn't want my site to be like, oh, and here's like all these ads and here's this blog roll on the side. And, and I, I, just, because I didn't really care at that point. I mean, I had a job, yeah. I was, this was just for fun. So that actually freed me up to just really make it pretty, yeah. you know, and not worry about big flashing banners and all that. Junk. Right, right, right. That, you know, that, that was Great when we could finally make site because Tomer was free, right? So you don't have mm. to worry about oh, well, I gotta, I, I better put ads on the top so I can mm. pay right. my bill. <laughs> well,
0: and and I feel like the site very much kind of captures the spirit of like even our show. We talk about like the idea of the rebel and the Renaissance man. It's like we're kind of interested in things that are masculine and manly, but also like things that are also poetic or things that are things that are beautiful. And that's what that site and what your Tumblr and the book and everything encapsulates. Um, let's, I want to go through some of the rules you have in there yeah. because those, that's, I mean, that's the most f- fun part about it.
4: <laughs> well, <laughs> I also, you know,
0: I, I was still
1: like, I, I was still, I, I was still a young guy. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't want to come off too nerdy and be like, here are all my etiquette rules. I mean, for every rule about like how to set a table, you got to have a photo of Mick Jagger, you know? Yeah, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) That that was also part of the point is is like, this shouldn't be so deadly serious. Like you can be a gentleman and still dig glam rock. You know what I mean? For sure. You can want to dress like Cary Grant, but still collect Sex Pistols records. Yeah. Like one, one of the worst things that's happened since then is like this fracturing of like, I mean, I mean, you guys obviously know. I mean, there was definitely yeah. this kind of like pro men movement and and this kind of Mad Men era nostalgia. Um, but the worst thing that happened is is people using that as some kind of excuse to like all of a sudden become like 1950s dudes and like be all conservative and all that stuff. Mm, I mean. Yeah. That, point of my blog was to be like hey you know you can be like a young hip guy and not dress like a slob yeah you know that that that's kind of the origin of it i mean obviously since then that the trends have kind of come and gone and now people are in sweatpants and i've got a beard (laughs) and stuff but but yeah i mean you gotta you gotta it's high-low man it's all about high-low yeah you gotta you gotta keep the mix
4: Exactly. i liked
2: how so many of the rules are i mean they're just about intentional living they're about like being intentional about like what it is you're putting out there how you're presenting yourself not in a not in a like pretentious way but just knowing who you are and what you represent what you want to do with that
1: yeah yeah i mean owning a little bit i you know i spent a lot of time in my youth trying out a lot of different haircuts and (laughs) looks and images and identities never quite (laughs) sure what was going to fit oh yeah a lot of this was kind of being like, all right, I think I'm getting there closer to the person I think I want to be. Totally. Um, and so, but, but I always kind of wanted to make sure there was still a little element of uncertainty. Like, no. I don't know, you know, let's, let's see if this sticks. I'll try to make my kid do this, but.
4: You know. <laughs> well,
0: um, let's go, what are, what are a couple of your favorite rules from the book? Do you oh, pop in your head? Julia. It's been are so
1: many years. You I it. could probably just open to it and you like got it. you got it
0: in front of You guys pick. You guys pick. All right. Um uh one of well, I, what I like is that like there are like Eric said, there's a lot of intentional living kind of nuggets, um, and some really funny ones. And um what I like I'll is tell, that they're so I'll short. Tell, oh, sorry. Yeah, well I'll
1: tell you which ones always got people fired up. Okay, they're the ones that kind of stuck out at the beginning. Some of them even sound dated now or even cliche, but I remember at the very beginning, people got really mad when I said, you know, men should never wear sandals ever <laughs> or something like that. You know? Um, well, this now was you live in the
4: desert though, right? How do you feel about dudes,
1: that? Yeah. Well, now it's a different story because I live out in the desert. But <laughs> this just kind of a cargo shorts era, um, cargo shorts and flip-flops era. So that stood out. All of a sudden, people were like, oh my God, what's he saying? I can't ever wear my tevas again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, people in California seem to get really mad when I said you shouldn't jog shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. get all these emails from California dudes being like, dude, you have no idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the only way I can get my tan on Oof. or whatever. My... And then, of course,
1: 2009, I remember one of the very first rules was never trust. I don't know, what did I say? Um, a man with facial hair has something to hide. Or something oh, yeah. Like, yeah. My
0: dad always used to say that, too. Uh,
1: yeah, and my that was like a big thing with my dad. He like never, ever had a beard. Like, and I used to beg him as a kid. I'm like, I just want to see. Like, I can't grow a beard. I want to see what it looks like. And he was like, I mean, he, I don't know, you know, he was one of these guys who shaves on the weekend. But um, so that was one of the early rules. And it was funny because it it truly predated like the big beard renaissance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like. And so now that rule seems even, like, weirder and more antiquated because, like, it's you're hard-pressed to even find someone who doesn't have a beard. But yeah. at the time, I remember people were like, whoa, that's so brave <laughs> like, to, to, like, take a stand against facial hair. But it was mostly, like, I, I remember thinking it was mostly a stand against, like, shitty goatees
2: and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah like the, the old 90s think- goatees.
2: Do you think maybe that rule had a hand in sparking the whole beard renaissance? Just as a rebellion to what you were putting out there, yeah. you, you might get, have been far you know, more influential than you think.
1: <laughs> yeah, you always have to stay one step ahead of the mainstream. <laughs> and as I, as I, uh, you know, took over the mainstream, they 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 jumped ahead. I
0: <laughs> well, I, I've got uh, I, I wrote down a couple here that that I liked that I pulled out from the book that that I feel like I haven't been said on on some podcasts and stuff you have talked about before um one that i like is uh it's really funny but true if the teacher forgets to assign homework keep quiet
1: <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yes yeah, so, yeah, see some of these rules are not just for the uh for the you know the nerds in the front row you this is just in case your kid also happens to be a uh, a middling c student which is You know, by definition, the majority of us actually means average. So let's not all pretend that we're all exceptional. Uh, (laughs) Or that middling C student, uh, you need all the help you can get. So sure.
0: Um, I liked the. um, Where is it? Oh, if the major D mistakes you for someone famous, there's no rush to correct him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I was a kid, my dad's big move. He, we grew up in Washington D.C., and my mm-hmm. dad, uh, he was in real estate. He was just like your typical kind of businessman, but he did have a certain swagger. So when we would go to restaurants, like they would always just assume that he was like a senator or something. He had like yeah. silver <laughs> hair. He always had the blue blazer. You know, he just had that look. And like I can't even tell you how many times we went into restaurants, and the little like hostess would be like, "Oh, uh, good evening, sir." Um, and he'd be like, and he'd have to keep the shades on for a few seconds as you come in the <laughs> restaurant. Just, and, and so many times I've, people would come over and be like, I'm sorry, are you, are you Sonny Jurgensen or are you, are you Senator Graham or something? And he would just be like,
4: nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How <laughs> nice are you? you.
1: <laughs> he just thought, uh, like, Hey, you know what? You got you to roll with it. Any advantage you're given in life, you know, just Yo. take it.
0: Yeah. yeah, it happens to me space. all the time in L.A. People think I'm Seth Rogen, um, and so I don't ever like correct them, like because you could. There, people they figure it out quickly, but because Seth Rogen is like a foot shorter than me, <laughs> but, but they're always like, "You even sound like a man." I'm like, "Yeah, all right, well, that's good." Uh-huh. Next time it happens, if you can't swing a
1: picture deal, yeah, and then. I
0: yeah I should totally see like if they could if if find out what their Instagram is and see if they <laughs> if they post a picture of me Met Sir Florgan today that'd be hilarious um, one thing I like too is like a uh, a t-shirt is neither a philosophy nor an advertisement it's a shirt wear it plain Um I, I enjoy that so much. I The thing is, I get so many t shirts as gifts, like at Christmas and birthdays, like, oh, you like this band or you like this movie. Yeah. Here's a t shirt. And I'm like, oh, I know. I never they're wear literally it out of the house. Old
1: t shirts are like the scourge of the 90s. There's <laughs> they're like whole villages in Africa of people wearing like Soundgarden shirts and like, <laughs> you know. Citibank Fun Run shirts yeah. and shit like
0: that. Or, or like the I'm football teams you. that lost in the Super Bowl. Like, oh, yeah. like you got to ship all There's those so shirts many somewhere. Buffalo
1: Bills, Super Bowl <laughs> championships. Like, I remember like looking in my drill one day and being like, what in God's name am I doing with so many shirts? And they all have some message on them. I'm like, no one's paying me Pay. to advertise this shitty band <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I think at some point in, in, around the turn of the millennium, all t-shirts got purged and replaced with white fruit of the loom, which uh have are still in the rotation, although have been upgraded a bit. I think I've upgraded to some plain white J. Cruz and yeah, whatever. But, uh yeah, I'm I, I I still uh I still don't like to wear shit on my t shirt.
0: Yeah. I just I <laughs> I'll sell, save those T-shirts for working out or for sleeping in now. Like I just, or like when I'm hanging around the house. Like I don't like <laughs> I don't know. And also, you know, a lot of the
1: dressing rules you got to
0: remember. Like,
1: I mean, you put them all together, and it's like in in total is probably pretty ridiculous. You might <laughs> as well like live in a Halloween costume shop or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but you know it's aspirational, right? So like, if you want to, kind of live a certain life, like. It's kind of fun to just force yourself to say, Oh, there goes all my shirts and underwear, and all being replaced by like fifties white shirts and boxers, or <laughs> there go all my jeans have just been replaced by like one pair of khakis and you know. Sure. So like clothes are the one thing that you can do where you can kind of force your own hand, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you if you if you are brave enough to throw it all in the bin and or take it all to the Salvation Army and then just see what you're left with. Oh shit. It's only white shirts and blue knit ties. Like, that's good. Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Less decisions. Um, yeah. I uh, Let's see. Uh, one that I really liked was identify your most commonly used word or phrase and eliminate it, which I feel like that would be a good lesson for all of us on this podcast. Oh, Because yeah. <laughs> when you listen to it back, you're like, oh, man, I say that all the time. <laughs> I know. It must be
1: painful for you guys to have to listen to your podcast and be like, oh, my God, I'm still saying that. Or, I, I can't even
2: <laughs> listen to myself. I told Ever. myself I was going to stop doing that five episodes ago. I'm still doing it. <laughs> I know. I, I do have to remind
1: myself of that rule all the time. A lot of these rules have kind of, you know, made it into the wastebasket of time, but, uh, <laughs> but some of them stand up, and that is one of them. I'm always like, "Am I really still saying absurd?" Or
0: <laughs>
1: there's a lot. There's a lot of words I say a lot.
0: Literally, um, a lot of people. Literally, do that. Yeah. literally, you know, it's another
1: one that it's another one that people use a lot is amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Everything
1: everything's amazing. I don't think I don't think everything's amazing. (laughs) Very, very little amazes me, to be honest. (laughs) You know? Like like, practically nothing amazes me. (laughs) I saw some pictures of Saturn that were actually amazing. But (laughs) nothing of this earth amazes me (laughs) in the sense. So that 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 word really should be purged.
0: Now this is a good one for Californians. Uh, don't personalize your license plates. I feel like that is an epidemic in this city. <laughs> is in Los Angeles. Is is uh, is uh, vanity plates on every well, car. There's
2: about the guy cutting you off on the freeway too?
1: Um, and you know it's funny that the first person to call me out on that one was my mother-in-law because she had just gotten some personalized license plate. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and, if, and I had like literally, I like, got married like a week or a week before, so I mean, she was like, "So you don't like you don't like license plates?" Uh, and I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." She's she's like, you know, RN nurse pilot Shamrock like uh, <laughs> yeah. her whole identity in eight in eight digits or whatever. I was gonna um, say it was
2: probably something really sweet like I love my. Son-in-law <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: totally. um, And that's so funny. This is that's totally me talking shit too, because I've never actually owned a car. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe if I did have a car, I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna get a license plate with my name on it. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> um let's you had,
2: you had one here I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, there's one perfect way to cook bacon, find it. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: that's that's good, good
1: one. That's good. So that is uh, good. Yeah, because it does take you a while, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's got sure.
2: their way. I'm still well, I right love it. the adventurous spirit behind it, too. Yeah.
1: Well, also, you know, every dude blogger on the planet's going to tell you, I know the best way to make bacon. Right, right. And it's funny because, of course, there's no perfect way to make bacon. Like, we all like bacon <laughs> different ways. <so> <laughs> right, like, Do your own thing, man. Make your own bacon. <laughs> Why? Why was everyone so obsessed with bacon for a while? Are people still obsessed with bacon?
0: I don't know. I feel like it was a big thing, like maybe a few years ago. But I don't know. I feel like there's
2: still a small subset that'll like get real up in arms if you say something about their their favorite meat. (laughs) Joe's still like really obsessed with like smoking meats
1: and stuff. I feel like that was that was like you know like there was the like the main like Reformation religious men's movement. And then there were these like offshoot churches, they were like the meat smoking group. They were like the, <laughs> the beer grooming group. They were like the uh vintage bicycle group. You know, mm. everybody kind of splintered, but you still had that, that kind of that meat group. I think they're yeah. still out there.
0: So since you've written this book, you've also come out with one for a daughter and you've had a, a son and a daughter, right? Am I correct? Yeah. That?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, funny how it works. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote the first, I we did the rules for my unborn son, and then uh, I actually had a son, and a couple years went by, you know, which is crazy. And then I had a daughter, and uh, and then I, I, my publisher must have been running out of ideas, because I get this call out of blue, that's it's like, hey, aren't you the guy that wrote the son? Bo-? Yeah. They're like, would you do a daughter one? So. <laughs> So I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a freelancer, everything by trade anyway. So, I'm never one to turn down a gig. Yeah. Uh, The second book was fun to write because I had a daughter. My wife was on board me writing it, and uh, I I, I didn't want to do it for a while just because, you know, I it was just such a one-off fun project to begin with, and I I didn't. It's not like I wanted to like franchise this, and I you know want to make it a business, but once I'd had a daughter, I realized, oh, you know, it'd be fun if she had her own too. And so I kind of, I kind of retrofitted a blog to go with it, but I realized that that was false. You know, it
4: did yeah, mm-hmm.
2: the,
1: the first book had like a natural progression. The second one, I just wrote it as a book straight up and then kind of put some stuff online just because you figure people are going to Google you and want to find something.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, but, uh, but that one, and you know, I was afraid that I wouldn't have the content and I, you know, I, I, I thought I was tapped out and, Or I thought that like, you know, my biggest problem was, I thought, you know, it's one thing to tell your son what to do, but in this day and age, as a dad, did I really want to write this book of telling a girl what to do? Yeah, You know, that's like, you know, Mm. out of touch, best and misogynist at worst. (laughs) So I had to be really careful about how I kind of framed it. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not like I was going to write, like, you know, make sure the coffee for your boss is hot, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, shit like that. The first book glamorizing the Mad Men stuff. And then the no, second but... book, you know, go to college. I hear there's great art classes for girls. <laughs> and, you know? oh, so I, I did kind of update the second book, and it became much more of like a, you know, positive like super girl like you know and and so it it might come off a a little more earnest or a little cornier you know like i I probably couldn't be as tongue-in-cheek i mean i still think it's fun yeah. but you know it's it's definitely more like you know i want my daughter to be a total
2: badass and yeah uh and stuff like that so that's
4: awesome but i still had fun writing
2: oh. With um, just the concept behind all those, have you had any interaction with like? I mean, you're kind of like a parenting expert now. So have you had any interaction with like parenting groups or child rearing experts on this?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, not. I mean, no, no one, no, no, no one ever tries to claim I'm an expert. I mean, <laughs> but I, I have, I have been asked. Yeah, you know, I'm like, hey, go on, on Amazon. It? Yeah. <laughs> I think you know, I've written a couple things for magazines. And, yeah. But I always preface it by saying I am not an expert. The <laughs> last thing I want is, like, some mom blog to be like, how dare you say that the kids play football or whatever. Right? You know, so <laughs> right, right. i preface it by being like, I don't know what I'm talking about at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think this stuff is kind of funny. But um, I, feel like, and I feel like that's actually a really healthy, like, mindset as a parent because like we don't know it all you don't have all this figured out like these are wisdom I want to pass on to my kids and that's a really caring thing to do
1: yeah Yeah, you know what you're right and actually one of the kind of I thought one of the funny kind of hooks of the first book was that I was writing it before I actually had a kid yeah you know like I'd had the kid and then I was like these are all the rules we have in our house right right (laughs) totally different tone you'd sound like a jackass yeah. you like yeah. come on so th- that was part of the joke part of the joke was you know talking about making sure my kid reads a newspaper like before i even had a kid you know so right, right. also that in that way it got me off the hook of being any type of expert because i was just pontificating i was just kind yeah. of so it was like it was like a you know just a dream like a you know fantasy of list of rules um And again, the the joke that there's a thousand rules. It was supposed to all feel very over the top, right? Right. Um, What's funny is since then, you know, because you know things on the internet they strangely don't get dated, right? So, yeah. (laughs) um, So, so if someone finds that content now, they they do. People even now still get all fired up. Every once while, get an email or something, be like, you know, this this is no good, or this is outdated, or in fact, just a couple weeks ago. Some guy, I don't know, you know, some guy somewhere in the middle of America, and this happens every once in a while, some guy finds the blog, it's out there somewhere, it floats around on Tumblr, and he copies and pastes it onto his blog. Oh, no. Fine. Okay. People do it all the time. Yeah. Um, And maybe they say, like, oh, I found this funny stuff, or maybe they just, you know, repost it like people do. And what'll happen is, like, his post will, like, go bonkers on Facebook. Some dude like basically copied and pasted my entire book onto his Facebook page like two weeks ago. Oh no! And within a year, it had like three million hits on Facebook.
4: Holy crap! I don't
1: think I got more than ten thousand followers like lifetime on Tumblr. <laughs> right? No. So this, so this guy's like totally gone viral with my content.
4: Wow! And
1: uh, and and but but I was watching it because someone like sent me the link. Was like, dude, this dude's pretending to be you. And uh, so I go and I'm looking at the comments I'm going, Jesus, I'm so glad that it's not me to <laughs> <laughs> do this stuff yeah. because Facebook is so vicious. Like it Tumblr, yeah. it was all a bunch of, like 25-year-old like hipsters and teenagers and shit. And no one, no one was giving each other a hard time. It was a very positive, kind of supportive community, you know, back before Tumblr was yeah. selling ads, and shit like yeah. that. Um, but the people on Facebook were ripping this guy. <laughs> they were like, This is sexist. This is bullshit. You don't know anything about parenting. You know, and then be like these crazy like Trump threads, and then they'd be oh, these no. great football concussion threads. And I was just like, oh. I'm so happy that my name is on this. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, no, I'm I'm I, I still stay away from being called a parent, parenting expert. Unless someone wants to pay me, and then I'll <laughs> pretend like I am anything you want me to be. There you go.
0: But uh, so, like, has your son, how old is your son now, by the way? Is is that okay to say on on the air? <laughs> he's uh, he's nine. 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 Oh wow! So he's old enough to ha- have his his. I I don't know. I, I can. I'm showing my naivety as a, as not being a parent. Is he old enough to to have read this book now? Has he read it? Yeah. yeah what's his
1: take on the rules? Yeah. I mean, those kids should be able to read it at nine. Yeah. I'm like,
0: I read <laughs> at nine, but you never know.
1: Be like, uh, maybe I should have written a different book. Um, <laughs> No, uh, yeah, he's got a copy of the book. The book is dedicated to him. He won't read it. He no. just looks at me like he's like I'm not going to read your book. I'm like, "Come on, just like <laughs> one page." Yeah. I literally wrote it for you. <laughs> he's like, "I'll read it later." He reads like graphic novels. <laughs> he's reading like weird Japanese graphic novel like like historical biographies. I'm like, yeah, he- Probably, my book's probably not really your cup of tea.
0: <laughs> well, I think he'll appreciate it when he, maybe when he gets older, when he's in college or something and, and trying to find himself, he'll like, oh, this is kind of cool that my dad did this. Yeah. Um, he'll
1: have a cats in the cradle moment when like, he hasn't talked to me in 20 years and like, he digs it out <laughs> and it blows the dust off and he's like, my dad cared about me. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but people always told me from the very beginning. And they're exactly right. They're like, you realize that by writing this book, you are going to create a son exactly opposite of this book. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's true.
0: It's like the youth pastor or the, the pastor's uh, teenager, right? It's like it's they the always preacher. do their opposite. <laughs> um, it's, the it's the preacher's daughter is yeah. the rebel. Yeah,
4: that,
1: exactly. As hard as you try to go one way, the kids, use zig, they're going to zag. That is a fact. I should have written a book about how to become like the worst punk asshole. And then you... Know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not awesome. gonna do this, Dad. That's what that's what happens to all the rock journalists, you know? Yeah. They all write these books about like how to raise a kid listening to nothing but Badfinger and the New York doll. <laughs> and then their kids like, you know, they all become like creed fans or, <laughs> creed fans. <laughs> or what's Republicans.
0: it i have a friend who has a theory that imagine dragons is the new creed which i think that's probably <laughs> true but um well uh eric has an unborn son on the way i don't yet but yeah um, so i'm
2: i'm taking in all the tips i can right
0: now but we wrote a couple of rules uh that we thought that maybe if you do another edition or uh uh, uh, you know if you ever want to expand upon the book we came up with a couple of them here um so i I will read a couple and see if you think they'll fit um i have one uh, and this comes more so from my dad a man should never wear a clip on anything
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's good. I, I like it.
0: I feel like it works for ties, suspenders. Uh, I don't know all sorts. No, that that's
1: you're exactly <laughs> right. I'm a, I'm a big button guy. I'm almost out. Yeah. I'm a, I'm almost over zippers. Zippers are almost out. Oh, We're yeah. almost all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, life harder. You know, just, you, you, you make, that's part of this vintage mo- movement, right? It's like you got to make life harder and slower for yourself. Right? <laughs> so you can be more mindful. Yeah, i it's, it's it's kind of true, but also I'm kind of. Fucking fun. But (laughs) but, um because I'm like my life's hard enough. I don't need like buttons on everything. But uh I am all with you. I'm all with non clip on anything. I remember my dad teaching me how to tie a tie when I was in first grade.
4: Oh wow, that's really
1: and you know how you learn how to tie a bow tie Mm
4: -hmm.
1: on your thigh.
0: Oh really? I just oh, yeah. I learned it I, I think I when I learned that was YouTube was around and I just found a video.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, back in the Stone Age, you, you just tie it around your thigh and then you can watch.
0: Oh wow, that's
1: the, that's the trick.
0: That's interesting. I got to remember that. Um, another one I had is always curve the bill of your baseball cap. <laughs>
1: i like it all right
0: i don't know i feel like some of those are i don't know i the flat build cap thing i feel like if you're over the age of 12 you just look like uh, an ass but i don't know
1: i think, I think you're you're onto to something here i think this can fall into the category of always distress your own shit
0: yeah that's true you yeah. know
1: you know if you're gonna have a beat up baseball cat
2: don't don't buy it that way from lids. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Eric, you had one too, didn't you? Did you,
2: uh, yeah, it was just, uh, get at least five people in your life who know your whole story. I think so many people like, no, uh, it. like it's so fragmented. This person kind of knows this about me. This person knows this, but who really knows the whole deal?
1: That is a really good one. That is a really good. one. in fact, I have thought about this a lot recently. I think it's, re- it's really important to write your own eulogy, and then give it to people (laughs) before you die. Because, you know, you in this day and age, like, okay, so in the old days, like, newspapers actually, yes, they reported some news, but a good portion of the newspaper was actually like a public record of very personal things. So you would put your marriage in there, if your business was sold, or you had a merger, like... It would be covered in your local newspaper, you know. Like, Walker Lamont was just uh, elected president of the Lions Club, you know, or the <laughs> Masons are meeting this weekend, and and so you can actually probably get more information about your grandparents by googling old newspapers mm. than you about yourself and your friends because nowadays, basically, we're responsible for our own biographies, yeah. And you know, so you know, you can use social media and that. Uh, that might be good, but if you want to, uh, you know, finesse and curate that a little bit, I highly recommend selecting five close friends and then handing them a very nice eulogy of yourself <laughs> and saying, "When I go, this is how I would like to be remembered." Or at the very least, give them a resume and say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> "I'll tell you right now, when you die, no one that you know is going to remember what the hell you did at your okay. job." It's true, and you may have your job for 50 years, and right. you will be lucky to find anyone who knew what the hell you did. <laughs> I mean, right. it's true, unless you're the president of Amazon or something, no one's going to be like, He was a really good deputy head of HR at that accounting firm, <laughs> you know. But like, you know, these are the facts of your life, you got to keep track of them, it's so. Trally
0: um I have a, a couple more here um and you'll see if he, if these can work too um I got uh try heroin at least once so you know what you're saying no to um but that that one actually doesn't sound as good when I read it out loud because it ends in a preposition so um and then can
1: we, just, can we fake it with um sweet and low and water and <laughs> what, we, what we used to do with all of our like you know indie movies back in the 90s oh, yeah. like every indie movie in the 90s had to have a shoot up scene
4: oh yeah, so, yeah.
1: So we the all got belt. really good at, at bending spoons and boiling water and sugar in a spoon <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah i remember that in <laughs> well, film Jordan, school as a uh, as your addiction therapist, I'm going to tell you that that's a bad idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that's probably – we should – and I got another one here. Um, uh, when selecting a college, pick a state school because higher education is a racket perpetuated by the United States government in bed with the student loan companies. And when you graduate, <laughs> you probably won't be able to find a job anyway, at least not in this economy. On second thought, you're better off going to a trade school or starting a blog or something. So that might not fit on the small book pages though, but I don't know. I, feeling- I,
1: I, I, I wholeheartedly agree and I endorse <laughs> and I think that should be on the cover.
0: Yeah. <laughs> be on the back of the book. Perfect.
1: I agree. I go one step further and say all colleges are racket, skip it all, <laughs> join the merchant marines, mm. see the world, and then come back and, you know, be a bartender.
0: <laughs> um I wanted to tell you meant like what I like about your book too is, or uh, it seems like you, you have a background in like in being interested in punk rock and stuff, which is funny because Eric and I grew up in that world. We both played in punk bands in high school and stuff. Yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Um, and then I looked up on, because uh, you know, because you being a TV producer, looked up on your IMDb, and I saw New York Dolls uh, documentary on there. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? I mean, that's super interesting yeah, to man. me.
1: Oh yeah. this is a, like another lifetime ago, but um, <laughs> I did. I mean, I am a huge music fan. I am am a music nerd. I mean, I but I am no expert. I never played in a band. I don't have any. Punk bona fides. Um, <laughs> geez, my wife's a lot more, a lot cooler than I am. She used to go to like no ages shows and watch Fugazi in DC and stuff. Oh wow. Awesome. But I, I just grew up loving rock and roll. So I was like, you know, I was a classic rock guy, and then I was a stones guy, and then I did the natural progression. This is like it, you can like track everyone's like career through college and coffee houses in New York and stuff. So you know, I went Stones and Velvet Underground, and then I found the Stooges and then you know, but I mean, I love all of it, I love all of it, mm. but I did, I, I have always loved the New York Dolls. They were always a big, I just loved the mix of high-low. I loved that they were fun, but raw. Like they weren't, I was like never a big Clash fan. Like I, I, I get it. The Clash is awesome.
4: Yeah.
1: They're amazing. You know, I know all the words. I rock out to it all the time, but like I never connected as well to like, I guess the the anger of it because you know, I wasn't some like I wasn't some, like, blue-class bloke from Birmingham, you know? Like, yeah. I, I was just, you know, so so the dolls I le- I liked because I loved the theatrics of it. I yeah. was much more of, like, a Jagger, fu- you know, rock and roll should be fun thing. Yeah. Anyway, for short, I um, I wanted to make movies. I moved to New York. I realized it was too expensive to make movies, so I thought maybe I could make documentaries. So I you know, made a list of my favorite documentary filmmakers and it consisted of like two and the top was DA Pennybaker. Cause he made my favorite movie, which was don't look back oh, about yeah. Dylan.
4: great. And,
1: weird. um, wrote a hole on the back of the DVD, it said his office was up on 92nd street. So I hopped on a subway and I knocked on his door and, uh, he answered and I said, can I work for you? And he goes, well, there's a broom right over there. Sure. So I, uh, <laughs> I started sleeping in the basement and kind of organizing all of his old films. And he's just the most amazing guy in the world. And, and he, he really became kind of my mentor. And I kind of mm. yeah, worked for him for a few years and, and eventually got to the point where we'd sit at the steam deck together and look at old footage of Dylan. And he let me cut a movie. And um, anyway, so he really introduced me to music documentaries and how to make cool music films. And uh, so about the same time... I, I'm I'm living downtown, and I noticed that David Johansen is playing a gig at the Bottom Line, which is this old rock club down in Greenwich Village, oh, which awesome. is no longer there. Um, and I'm thinking, how uh, this is amazing! Like David Johansson, New York Dolls, Buster Poindexter. It's like it's like to me, it was like if Mick Jagger was playing a solo show at a club for 50 people and no one was there. Yeah, you know, like he that level of god to me so i went down there and literally there's like six people in the audience and he's playing the blues with an old blues outfit he played with for with a while uh the harry smiths and uh and then he you know he'd play there every couple of weeks and i used to just go to his shows and then he he would play at this place called chicago blues and he would just play with these old guys um and he'd play a bunch of old doll stuff a bunch of his old solo stuff and literally there'd be like 10 people in the audience and i couldn't even believe it um so eventually, I got the nerve to to just walk up to him and say, hey, "Would you mind if I brought a camera to one of these shows and filmed your concert?" You know, because this is a shame that you know this is great stuff. So, in like typical David Joe man, he was like, "Sure," you know. Like, uh, <laughs> what do you want to film me for? Type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, uh, "Just tell me this: Are you a fan or are you?" a filmmaker and i was like honestly i'm a fan he's like good answer <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he didn't want some marty fartsy poncy guy like trying to like make a film yeah. but i just was like wanted to like record it for posterity um anyway so i ended up going down and filming uh it was actually david joe hansen and harry smith's last show and it was the last concert at the bottom line so we filmed this Really traditional concert film, but he let me hang out backstage, and you know, and it was great. And then it was just kind of me teaching myself how to make a concert film. And a few months later, I get a call from uh, from David Joe, and he's like, Walker. I'm like, "Yes." He's like, "It's David Johansson." I'm like, "Holy (laughs) shit! (laughs) Okay." He's like, "Literally, he's like, we're getting the band back together." (laughs) <laughs> and he'd gotten a call from Morrissey to get the dolls back together because Morrissey was curating this show out in London. Oh, wow. And uh, this, like, summer concert series. And he begged David Joe and all the guys, Sylvain and, um, and Arthur Kane, who was still alive at the time, uh, the bassist, he, said, he begged them to get the dolls back together. So they did it. They, they kind of got together. They hadn't seen each other in like 20 years. And so David calls and he's like, Look, I don't want you know, just anybody in there. He's like, but I trust you, we met. So he let me come with a camera and I got to film, like them doing a few rehearsals, we flew out to London, we filmed that show. And then, um, and I was just, I wasn't, I didn't have the production. I didn't have the money to like, make a big concert film out there. Actually Morrissey did his own. But he let me hang out backstage and um, just kind of document it almost more for him. But uh, It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was so much fun. And then sadly Arthur Kane died, and I thought that would be the end of that. But as it turns out, they they really loved playing together. And so then he calls me up again and he says, Hey, we're gonna go cut a record. We're gonna do it right here in Manhattan. Um, so I went up to the studio and um, and he let me hang out in the studio for a month while they recorded their their reunion record. Oh, wow. And it was awesome. I mean, it was just like, you know, I came from the Penny Baker school, which is just don't hang lights, hang out in the corner with a camera and mm. just hope, hope something cool happens. And that's yeah. all I did. And to me, just watching these incredible guys just make music and have fun was was all I needed. Like, I, you know, I wasn't out to make one of these behind the musics or something like that. Um, so that was it. So that was just me filming the dolls in the studio. It was like my teenage dream. Um, and David Johansson's literally like the funniest, wittiest guy in rock and roll. So just hanging out with him was like, Incredible! It was so much fun, and plus they were having guys in and out of the studio. I mean, so like you know, Michael Stipe walks in one day and sings some vocals, and oh, cool. uh, uh, God, who else? Uh, BB King came <laughs> in one night, and I mean, it was like you know, random crazy. Like, I mean, all, all uh, kinds of crazy stuff. So that was that was my my little experience making rock and roll films. My my almost famous summer
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool i mean that, that'd be a lot of fun to do. i've i've done some just being a filmmaker too of shooting my friends bands and stuff and like just thinking like oh man it'd be so cool to do like a real band
4: <laughs> <Like you laughs>
0: hang out and be be like a fly on the wall with, with one of the greats so <laughs>
1: yeah but i I gotta tell you I've, I've filmed a lot of music and and the that the, the the more famous they get, the more boring the movie
0: is. Yeah, it's true. No, mm. I mean,
1: there's there's so much drama and energy in watching amateurs trying to be a band. I mean, sometimes it's painful, but most of the time, plus it's the access is better. It's yeah. fun. I mean, look, we all want to get a famous person in the lens. I mean, that's you know, and you know, Andy Warhol's famous quote. Someone asked him, "What's your definition of a good picture?" And mm. he said. In focus and of someone famous, <laughs> it's I mean, said for that, right? Like we mm-hmm. all want, you know. In the day that Michael Stipe comes in, of course, I'm like nervous and I'm stumbling and I'm trying to get him. You know, I want I want to get that great footage of Michael Stipe. And I realized, like Michael Stipe in a glass booth is not exciting, but mm-hmm. watching David Johansen and Sylvain Sylvain listen to him record in the at the control booth was way cooler. Yeah. You know, because like it's amazing. I, I remember like there's this great moment where Michael Stipe was the one who was nervous because David Johansson was like his idol. He grew up listening to the dolls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like watch Michael Stipe be like, was that okay? Was that what you wanted? And having David Joe be like, yeah, it was all right. Maybe we're going to cut that part. Or like, <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant. And it was so much fun. So he,
0: he I, sounds like a New York construction worker. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that impression. I mean, I'm telling you, they, they should put David Johansson and Cyndi Lauper in a museum and just be like, this is the old New York accent. It's, they, I think they're both in Staten Island. Um, yeah. And they both have that like, I mean, Cindy Lauper's got that like, oh, sure. You know, she's, yeah. kind of like she's on Honeymooners or
0: something. Yeah, like she's um, like a David character Johansson from Everybody loves <laughs> That's awesome. I, 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 I want to see. Can I find that anywhere online or is that is that? Um, Well, you know,
1: we did was um, the New York Dolls one. We they included it in the record.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: So at DVD in the record, which was fun, great for me. So if you find that original pressing of the CD, probably get on eBay. You'll find the film, but I don't think they ever sold the film separately. Okay. Um, You know, another guy, a good filmmaker too. um, I forget his name. I shouldn't. That's shitty of me. But he made a great documentary just about Arthur Kane, the basis for the dolls. It was called New York Doll. It was a great documentary. I think he even played it at Sundance because Arthur Kane had had you know he was he'd gotten screwed up on drugs and then he got sober and he became a Mormon and he was living out in Utah in like working in the library of the big Mormon Tabernacle and uh,
0: in full dress.
1: Yeah, and the filmmaker found him and and then basically filmed him all the way until he. Joined the dolls again, and it was a really mm. beautiful film and then Arthur randomly died a week after the concert. It was so bizarre Wow. yeah he had had i guess he had cancer, but he didn't even know it oh uh, anyway, that's a real movie. mine's much more of just like a behind the scenes in the studio fun um you know but if you're but if you like Petty Baker movies where it's just like you know mostly out of focus and lo- low light and rock and roll that's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs>
4: That's
0: my cup of tea. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get a copy on eBay. Um, well, sorry for taking up so much of your time. I mean, you, I know you're like seven hours ahead of us, right? So yeah, this is great. This is great fun. I <laughs> love talking about myself. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. And where can where can people find you if uh, if they want to find out more of your your stuff?
1: I mean, Walker Lamond. Uh, if you can remember my name, we'll will take you to. It'll take you to Amazon to buy these books. It'll probably take you to the old Tumblr site. You'll find uh, you'll find all sorts of stuff. But Rules for My Unborn Son is still, uh, still in bookstores. You know, it's cool. A lot of the independent bookstores and, and shops are the ones that have kept it on the shelves, which is great. And then cool. there's this other one called uh, Rules for My Newborn Daughter. Both out there, and I got to tell you, they still make great gifts for new parents.
4: Oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. yeah, yeah, he's
1: you guys he's because of be, that age, you, all your friends are having babies and yeah. stuff. So, uh,
0: yeah. Eric, you, you know, got go a baby buy, shower buy, coming up, stuff, don't
1: yeah. you? Yeah, every time you go to a baby shower, you just pull one off the stack, and there you
0: go. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's all due.
4: Yeah,
0: um, well, thanks again, man. And we'll got we got to have you come back on when you're working on other stuff. This has been fun.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to, guys. I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, pick a topic. I'm sure I can become an expert in a matter of minutes. <laughs>
0: Hey, this part of the show is brought to you by Phoenix Shaving. If you like to shave, and you are a man or a woman, I mean, some, some women are hairy. That's all right. That's okay. No judgment. But if you, uh, you're you a guy that likes to shave and appreciates the finer things in life, go to GentlemanScofflaw.com slash shave. Um, that link helps support the show. And you could check out some of Douglas Smythe's amazing shaving soaps, aftershave colognes you'll be blown away at all the stuff he has sense for days he is like the walter white of artisan soap making he's got this lab basically there in, in phoenix arizona where he uh, creates his soaps and, and he cures them it's an independent business you're not giving your money to all those guys that are ripping everybody off with razors right now you can get some wet shaving starter packs so it has everything you need to get started wet shaving. You know, you can get a, sets that have the safety razor, the brush, the soap, the aftershave. Tons of great scents to pick from. I've mentioned before, one of my favorites is Tombstone. Also, they have Sundown, which is like a classic barbershop scent. Um, they've got uh, Cavendish, which smells like, like pipe tobacco, which is amazing. I tell you, I've been using this stuff, and I don't get any... Razor burn or razor bumps anymore. This stuff is amazing, especially the after shave. It just removes all irritation, bumps, redness. It's like I've never looked so dapper in my life, and that's thanks to Phoenix Shaving. So go to slash shave and stop being a slave to the cartridge razor shave. All right. Um, that was a fun interview with Walker. I I feel like we were kindred spirits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's an interesting fellow. And um, during the break, we talked a little bit. Of, he'd like to come back on and talk about music and other stuff. Like, yeah, maybe he'll be a, a, a guest host in the rotation. Who knows? Oh,
2: um, yeah. He's talking he's, about his punk rock days and filmmaking. It was cool.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know what time it is? It's time to announce the winner. <laughs> it's time to announce the, the winner. It's to announce the winner of this week's Phoenix aftershave giveaway. All right, let's get a drum roll. Ugh. The winner of the first Aftershave <laughs> cologne giveaway. <laughs> this is a terrible drum roll, you guys. Just uh, <laughs> that was
2: the best one God. yet. Come on. All right,
0: All right so. The winner is Oil Field Pipe Guy. You are the winner of First Dew After Shave giveaway from Phoenix right. Shaving. And uh next week we are giving away a bottle of Vetiver Planet uh which is, uh, is, is supposed to uh, smell like vetiver, which I don't know if you smell vetiver. It's kind of a manly kind of uh cedary? Is that right? Kind of cedary kind of smell? Am I am I Ooh. off with that? Do you guys know what vetiver is? <laughs> No, I have never part. heard the um, word in my life. I just know that. Um,
2: I suspect you're making it up.
0: Well, my my mom's really into essential oils, and whenever she diffuses that, it makes me think of like woodsy stuff. So hmm.
2: I could be wrong.
0: Douglas, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, Douglas is the guy that uh, put, you know uh, puts together and blends all these uh, fun. He's the sales. soap maker.
3: He's the s- soap <laughs> maker. That'd be gonna... an awesome movie. Yeah, that
0: wouldn't that would be. You got to do that. Um all right, and John, if people want to support the show, how can they do that?
3: Well, our merchandise shop has some awesome new additions. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know if uh people can handle this, but we have coasters. Oh yeah, coasters. Yeah. yeah. And coasters. For people Co- that respect they, for exactly, <laughs> and they they match well with the, the 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 steins. I guess you could call them the steins. The yeah. steins
2: whoa,
0: yeah. Cops, you yeah, I guess stuff? they're pint
3: glasses. They're probably not steins, though, right? And we're still working on that uh, wooden cereal bowl. Yeah, that's not cereal bowls.
0: Whoa, <laughs> why do they have to be wooden? This is going to be a manufacturing uh, nightmare right. I
3: respect wood too <laughs> There you
0: go um, And everything we mentioned on the show Could always be found in the show notes In the crotch bar Of the podcast description um, Eric You are a gentleman and a scofflaw my friend
2: Thank you You are a gentleman and a scofflaw
0: oh, Thank you John you are a gentleman
2: and a scofflaw But you are not my friend Ooh, controversy oh ouch do I, need to, do I need to do some group therapy here oh
3: this might be a group session we need an intervention need an it's intervention. about to happen yeah right
0: before you get into your other sessions he's actually eric's actually got to go to work after this Well, Back we're just going to gonna be the losers hanging around uh drinking <laughs> in the afternoon <laughs> all right you guys have a great week
1: this has been the gentleman Law podcast Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Visit us on the interwebs at GentlemanScofflaw.com.
0: Captain says there's ice on the river. We ain't getting home if we don't break through. So damn
3: cold, I can't help but shiver. Rise
4: and shine, we got
3: work to do. Hey!